Man, it's just so easy to get into the presence of God. We, um, man, that song, it's been in my heart all week. We were going to wait uh, to teach it to you at first Wednesday, but then I couldn't wait. Patience might be a thing for me. And, um, and so I thought, well, when you get to first Wednesday, which is actually third Wednesday, which is basically just come to church this Wednesday night at seven, we're going to do a first Wednesday that we've never done anything like before. And so I'm going to actually go through the history of venue church and how we plant it. And like, you see it now and it's like, Hey, this is great. And we have a building that God has provided for us right there that we actually own. And so like God is up to some incredible things. We're doing something called heart for the house. I want you to be able to pick up the spirit of a church plant because when we first started, I'll tell you, it was like, it was like a street fight. Come on, Layden was there between like a taco and a hot dog. It's like when you plant a church, man, hell just comes against you and we got crazy stories. So if you want to come and hear crazy stories and the stories of God's goodness and the stories of God's faithfulness and what God did in spite of everything that the devil tried to do, come, we're, I'm going to, I'm going to name every person that was on that plant team that's here. And you're going to, you're going to clap for them because man, we went to work. We rolled up our sleeves when God sent us to Airdrie. We rolled up our sleeves and the Lord met us and did what, what only he can do. And that is that he reigned on our land. He reigned in this city. Oh, it's going to be good. You're just going to have to come. Um, we're also live streaming that. So if you're watching and you're away someplace, um, you don't want to miss this here. If you're within driving distance, and I mean like in Alberta, uh, you're going to want to come back to First Wednesday. It's going to be, it's a night of worship and praise and prayer. And I'm just going to tell you the story of uh, a venue church. And it's going to be pretty awesome. So, all right. Thanks, Sean. Hey, we're in a series called Harry Man about the prophet Elijah. Have you been enjoying it? Sometimes when God has a hairy message to send to you, he sends it in a hairy package. You're like, that doesn't sound very uh, spiritual. Well, listen, the prophet Elijah was very spiritual, but he was also very hairy. And I know sometimes when God wants to tell you something, we always say this, like, hey, I'm totally open to whatever God wants to tell me. And God's like, you're good with correction. We're like, if you talk to me right... Can I just ask, like, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm different, but have you ever felt good when you've been corrected? Where you're just like, thank you. You're ab- oh, you're a hundred percent right. I've been an idiot this whole time. Thank you for speaking into my life. No, but see, sometimes God sends a tough message and a tough message to correct a nation. He'll send, uh, uh, the, the prophet who this, this King sends a messenger out. The messenger gets intercepted and comes back to the King. And then the, the King's like, wait a minute. Who intercepted you? He said, what did he look like? And the messenger said, it was a hairy man. And the king says, I know exactly who you mean. It was Elijah the prophet. Now, this sermon is called the little cloud. Now, you and I, we get distracted by big clouds. Just wait, you'll find it in the text. We get distracted by big clouds. We get distracted by big things. The devil wants to put big and shiny things or big and awful things in front of you. But the power is in the little cloud, when the little cloud comes out of the hand of the Lord, that's what you need in your life. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to talk today. Today's sermon topic is actually this thing called double-mindedness. You know what double-mindedness is? The apostle said it's like um, a person who's like tossed by the waves of the sea. 
Like it's this thing and then it's that thing. And you ever have those arguments in your head, like against other arguments in your head? <laughs> okay, let me put it to you. Does your spouse ever do that? Right, because nobody's going to admit that because y'all love correction so much. Double-mindedness. It's when we have our feet in both worlds. When, when we think it's both, but it's not both. Now, let me just open with this thought that Canadians, I mean, this is widely celebrated in our Canadian society right now, and we'll dig down a few layers here and see what God has to say about it. Canadians tend to wrongly think two opposing ideas can be equally true. Have you not noticed this? Like if my mom is arguing with Gail and they have opposing ideas and I got to come in and break them up because they're fighting. Are you liking this? I'm liking where this is going. I'm just making this up. But Gail's like, no, it's this. And my mom is like, no, it's that. Our society today is celebrating this thing. We're like, hey, hey, stop fighting. You're both right. You're both right. Israel was in this place where they're like, hey, it's Baal or Jehovah, but you're both a bit right. So let's celebrate both. Let's celebrate diversity. But it's not diversity. It's two opposing ideas. And so what worries me is when this enters from like society, and I'm going to dig into it, when it enters society from this like, hey, inclusion is great. But isn't there truth anymore? And isn't there right and wrong? And we've got all this like what's truth for Eric is not truth for his wife. And they're going to live according to separate truths. Is the truth something that is something you decide and, and it's the truth of now what I'm finding now in Christianity is that there's this thing called like my experience, the truth as I experience it, what we really mean is my understanding of it becomes more important than the truth itself. It's how I experience it. That's true for me. So what happens when this moves from society into the church? What happens when it moves from, from like, let's all be nice to each other to like into math. Because Sean over, you know, Nasty is like 2 plus 2 equals 4. And Sean's like, no, 2 plus 2 equals 78. And then I'm going to be like their math teacher and be like, hey, you're both right. Just get along and love each other. And they're going to be like, yeah, but when we do the books as a family, I would accept you as a friend. But if you don't get this, you're not doing my family books. And you're not going to handle church finances. You're not going to be a team lead that has a budget because you think two plus two equals 78. And I'm going to be like, not both. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, what is it? Is it four or is it 78? If two opposing ideas are at each other, two opposing religions, because we're in this thing right now where we're like, hey, every religion sort of leads to God. I would say every religion leads to a God. But it's like saying every road leads to uh, Airdrie, if you're in Airdrie. But roads also go other places. And so it's not both. It's this idea that not both are equally, equally valid. It's like, um, it's like uh, Jason, he designs a pair of shoes for me and makes a pair of shoes. And I'm like, thank you for this pair of shoes, but I really needed a car. So this is now going to be a car. Get in the car, kids. They're going to be like, it doesn't have any wheels. I'm like, I can put wheels on shoes. Get in the car. Let's go someplace. Look, either 
a shoe is designed to be a shoe or it's designed to be a car. Are you tracking with me? I feel like the first service was like kind of in it a little more. I feel like you're just starting to like, oh, shoes and cars are not the same thing, okay? I'm warming up to it. Then we go into this other thing where it's like Edward's over there. You know, instead of identifying... This is going to be good. Instead of, I, you know, he told me just before the service, he's like, I, I, not, I now identify as a 150-year-old unicorn. And I'm like, you can't do that. And he's like, don't oppress me. I'm like, he's not going to identify as maybe what... He's going to identify as this other thing. And then what society wants me to do right now is to agree with him so that he can feel good about what he's now identifying as. But I'd be like, not both. unless it's one of those like weird man unicorns. Come on, you feeling this venue church? We're in this thing now where I have to agree with him and be like, no, that's totally cool. I can't just be secretly amused by it anymore. I have to come out and be like, you are an amazing 150-year-old unicorn. That's incredible. And then he's like, because I'm his pastor, then he'll be like, and tell me God made me like this. And I get into this tricky little... See, this is what we're doing now. Are we living according to how we were designed? Or are we living according to some interpretation of something or other? Can it be both, I wonder? And then what happens is people come to pastors sometimes. People do this to us all the time. After like, look, they grew up in like a, an abusive home and then things were done to them. And then they, then they made 50,000 decisions and then they land in life way over here. And then they come to me and they're like, now tell me this is the way that God made me. And I'll be like, that was like a long, a lot of decisions ago. Yeah. Well, tell me that God wants me to be broke. And I'm like, and then the next thing is, and tell me that I'm happy. You want me to tell you that you, I do this to my kids, like, you need to be happy. But they don't like, tell me that I'm happy for my life choices, you know. It, it's, it's called double-mindedness. We want it both ways. Double-mindedness. Elijah the prophet is speaking to a nation of Israel that wants it both ways. But either you're, you're in the valley or you're on the mountain. Like, can you have everything both ways? I'm all about including people and loving people. But it's not the same thing as two opposing ideas. That's why you've got to work stuff out in marriage. You can't just be two opposing idea people all the time. Unity is not, listen, unity is not agreeing with everything. But, but unity is also not these like two opposing ideas that are just like, yeah, well, we're going to live here. We're never going to work things out. We're just going to both do whatever we want. Well, that's called divorce or a really weird marriage. I'm not allowed to be in that marriage. My mom would kill me. Also, my wife would kill me. Two opposing ideas. Now, I think what we have to do is we have to enter this sort of, I think it's more logical, but I think it's just factual and truthful. We have to get into this idea that, look, there are some things in our lives that um, we have some pregnant girls in the house right now. So I'm like, listen, yeah, it's awesome. It's the, it's the difference between me telling whoever's pregnant, like Brie, me telling Brie like, Hey, um, are you like pregnant, pregnant, or are you sort of pregnant? <laughs> or are you like pregnant today, but maybe not, you're not feeling it tomorrow. 
I'm going to get in all sorts of trouble. Or the first service is like, don't do it, man. Don't, don't talk about pregnancy. There are some things in your life where you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant, but there's nothing in the middle. You know? And then, see, this is what I discovered last week. I discovered that uh, hot foods mess with my stomach, and I love spicy food. So, so this is now the thing that we're in in society is that I, I could say to Brie, when she's not feeling well in the morning because she's pregnant, I can be like, I know exactly what you're, I know exactly what you're going through. <laughs> my stomach's upset too. She'd be like, don't talk to me, pastor, about this. You talk about anything else, but don't you talk about it not the same. Or what we do, this is what we do. This is what we do. Or I start talking about like, my, my stomach's upset in the morning. I know what it is. I'm pregnant. Thank you. You know what? As soon as I say I'm pregnant, when I'm not, I don't have to take responsibility for eating spicy food anymore. I'd be like, no, this is just, this is just me and the way that God designed me. That's why my stomach feels upset. Aaron feels sorry for me. And she'd be like, I saw what you ate yesterday and you're obviously not pregnant. It's the other thing. It's not both. It's a hairy message. You're loving it. You love it. Our language in society and dealings as a society celebrate double-mindedness. That's why we never get to goals because we have too many. And they oppose each other. Look, either in this life you're supposed to be free to serve God and reach your destiny. Or double-minded and trying to please everything else. Not both. Either you're going to reach your destiny as a son or daughter of God or not. It's not like, hey, I did, but then I also did all. No, no, no. Your destiny, can, it can all be found in one place. But if you don't do it according to your design, you're going to be trying to put wheels on shoes and drive places. Not both. Um, we're trying to, what the, the problem is, is that we're afraid of failure. And because um, it hurts, right? So what we're doing now, our solution right now is like, no, you didn't fail. That was equally valid to the person who did it right. So I failed and that's right? Sure, if it makes you feel better, right? We're afraid of uh, failure, but did you know that you can't climb a mountain perfectly because it's a mountain. You can sit on a couch and do nothing perfectly, but hopefully that's not your destiny. Come on, Ben, you don't show me down. Is this not making some form of sense to you? Look, I was an electrician. So like when I leave your house, either the light is on or it's not on. But what we do now is like, cause sometimes we would look at something and honestly, I would be like, in theory, this should all work. Like everything that I can see and find makes sense until you find that the color of wire that went in the wall here is not the same color that came out there. What happened? I had that happened one time. Oh, my uncle helped out. I'm like, yeah, he did. But what we do is we leave the house sometimes before the light comes on. And then what we do is we have to tell ourselves a story that's like, in theory, it should work. And the cu poor customer is like, it's still dark. The light didn't come on. You were supposed to get the light on. You ready? Some of you see what's coming next. I feel like Canadian society has whole pockets where the light's not coming on. But we're like, but it should. And the poor people sitting in darkness are like, but it's dark. 
not both. Do you think that the God of light wants your life to be dark? Let's pursue God until the light comes on. Come on, venue church, say amen. Listen, I had a, I had a, a, a funny thing, a friend of mine, he said um, they were doing some work on their front porch. But he said, they're going about life as normal and then they couldn't find their cat. I don't know what their cat's name was. I don't care because it's a cat. <laughs> the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour cat family. That's why I don't like cats. I'm very spiritual. Somebody's like, isn't Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah? Yes. I'm allergic to cats. That's why I don't like cats. And cats are arrogant. Let's just be honest. Like they're just arrogant. They're like, yeah, I'll come over and you can pet me. And then now I'm going to walk over here and ignore you for the rest of the week. Well, this cat, they, poor Barry and his wife, they couldn't find the cat. A couple of days ago, a few days go by, they can't find the cat. So let's call a cat like, I don't know, like Walter. Is that a good name for a cat? Does it matter? So they can't find Walter. You know, what we do sometimes is we can't find Walter and then, see, what, what he did was they were thinking like, well, what's changed around here? You know, did he just wander off and we just can't find him? But then they realized, wait, we've been working on the front deck and then they closed it all in and then they put stone around it. And then he starts thinking to himself, I wonder. So they open up the front deck and hungry Walter comes out, you know? <laughs> listen, listen, in society that what you and I are doing right now is we're losing the cat. And then instead of like looking for the cat, we're like, either we never had a Walter and we just pretend that we didn't lose the cat so it doesn't hurt, or we get another cat and paint it like Walter and we're like, your name is Walter and you've always been here. And you've always been here because we don't want to remember the other Walter that we lost or is still <laughs> sort of with us. Oh, that's so bad under the front porch. Listen, either, either we're doing it right or we're not doing it right. There, there are these places in our lives where it's like, it's not both. It's got a, it's one or the other. And until you recognize it and, and the prophet Elijah comes to Israel and shines light on this. See, our, this double-mindedness, consequences follow this double-mindedness. Um, it starts like a sickness in your body. So think about it like this, like when cancer invades your body, you get all these like weird cells going on. Then it starts changing the nature of what your body was designed to do. Right. right? So it starts, it's a sickness that creeps in and it starts like attacking things that it shouldn't attack and letting things in. And it starts. So that is what Elijah has just done. And he's confronted this double mindedness. And so he's kind of cut the cancer out of Israel by the grace of God. Like not Baal and Yahweh, it's pick one. Right? So that has just happened in last week's sermon. And so, but there's also these symptoms in Israel that are still symptoms in your life and mine and in Canadian society. You want to know some of the symptoms? Like a shifting morality? Yeah. Like, hey, like this was wrong yesterday in my life, but because I kind of want to do it today, it's, it's okay. Right? Or like, hey, yeah, I can do this to so-and-so, but don't anybody do that to my kids. <laughs> I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Y'all are like super awkward and quiet right now. So if you want to distract me, just say amen. And I'll move on. Okay. <laughs> Symptoms, the shifting morality. Here's another symptom is a deep-rooted insecurity. 
When you're not single-minded on something, you're double-minded, you're always trying to like go from this thing to that thing to that thing. You're deeply insecure because you know deep down that's not how God made you and how God designed you. You should be focused on one life. Now you can have different roles, like I'm a dad and a pastor and a husband and just a person. and I can have these different roles, but I need one life. I don't need two lives or 50 lives that I'm trying to do all at the same time. And so insecurity, this deep-rooted insecurity, our inability to uh, admit failure. Like, you know, somebody tell me I'm winning. Like, you know that you're not. And just tell me, please tell me I'm winning. Tell me I'm happy. Now, here's some consequences, because that's a symptom. You know, when, when you got a sickness inside of you, everybody else gets to live with your symptoms all the time. Yeah. And you're, sometimes you're the last one to see it, because you don't look in the mirror as often as you think that you look in the mirror. I don't. When I, <laughs> when I look in a mirror, I think it's a window, and then I see all those problems in my wife. Did you know that when God is talking to you, he's talking to you about you? And you're like, I know exactly who you mean. It's a window. God's like, it's a mirror. You can't fix it in somebody else until you fix it in you. God always talks to you first. Now, the consequence of double-mindedness is drought. So if you've been double-minded towards God... In the past years of your life or months, it's spiritual drought. You don't have what you need to live the life that God wants. You're spiritually malnourished. You're drought. You can be physical. If you don't take care of things and you're single-minded and things like exercise or eating well, there's a drought that comes to your body. You're more easily attacked by sickness. You're not living the life that God wants you to live in some relative health, you know. Um, people get pregnant. People get addicted. People lose $50,000 in crazy Ponzi schemes, you know. We've made mistakes. We've, there are consequences that follow. Now, Israel's in the middle of this consequence where they're not where they want to be. And now Elijah has kind of cut the cancer out. But did you know that, and I want you just to have this word in your spirit as, as, we're, as we're talking about this this morning, is that what we have to do is move from consequence to consecration. So Israel's not done until it's consecrated. What does that mean? That means a setting apart of oneself. Like, I'm going to take all of me and put all of me here. A consecration. This is not going to have a part of my life anymore. Out, Holy Spirit, in. One God. One direction. One life. A life of consecration. When your finances get consecrated and belong to God, because the reason you struggle is that you think it's yours. You think it's your job. You think it's your car. You think it's your... God's like, well, why don't you just like give it to me and just do what I tell you to do with it so that I can bless everything. When your finances are like blessed by heaven, I'll tell you, like it works out. But you and I are in this place where we're like, no, God asked for 10% of our income, which is like pretty minimal. He asked for 10% and he's like, and I'll guarantee your initial investment. I'll multiply that by 30 times, 60 times, or hundred times. And we're like, and what do you want next? And God's like, are you not listening to the investment spiel? Well, you mean you won't love me if he's like, no, I love cheap kids too, but I can't bless. I can't bless until you sow. And we're complaining about the harvest and we're like, tell me I'm happy God and tell me I have enough. And he's like, you ate your harvest. You ate it when it was seed. And so when your finances are consecrated to God, then it becomes God's responsibility. I was getting a little stressed out this week because of all the bills I got coming in for that building over there. I was getting stressed out. 
until God's like, whose house? I'm like, all right. I'll stop doing God a favor right now and pretending that he'll provide for his own house. That means us, by the way, Venue Church. Consecration. Consecration cannot happen without rain from heaven. Now, here's the thing. You can do what you can do in the flesh. You, you got to do some things. Like, you got to make some decisions. You got to do some things. But here's, here's one thing you got to think about. You don't get spiritual rain until you ask somebody to pray for you for rain. You're going to see it in the text today. Some of you don't. You're still in the consequences of a spiritual drought because you've never asked anybody to pray for rain for you. See, you can pray for rain for yourself, but that's not the way that God designed prayer to work. Every time that I pray, every time that Pastor Aaron and I pray for our pastors, Pastors Peter and Carolyn, every single time I pray for them, that prayer comes true for me too. But if I pray the prayer for me, then my life becomes about me. And it's not like God, listen, Jesus says God already knows all of your needs. Like you're supposed to ask him. But here's what we need to ask for somebody else first. You can never be healthy because healthy people are happy people. You can't be healthy until you help somebody else become healthy. That's how you get healthy. Why is it that we never get healed of sin sometimes? Because there's an element of the body of Christ that we miss. You know, God says through the apostle, he says, confess your sins to God for forgiveness, but confess them to somebody to get healed. And you're like, how come I'm not healed? And God's like, because you never... That's why we have a prayer corner after every service. It's like, there's something God wants to seal in you that sometimes he can't seal because that's where he put it. And you're like, God, do it. And he's like, I told somebody, I'm like, go and get prayed for. The whole sermon was about that. And they're like, well, I don't want to. And I'm like, then don't. (laughs) Problem solved. I can move on. It's up to you. You've got to take the steps. But if you want spiritual rain, if you want supernatural power over sin in your life, if you want supernatural in your finances, if you want supernatural in your family, you're trying to change your heart, but you can't change your heart. You can't change your own heart. God's like, I could do it. You got to, you got to ask for rain sometimes. First Kings chapter 18. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink. This is really weird because this is just after all the prophets have been, uh, the false prophets have been killed. All the other voices are done. And Elijah said, Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Now, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, Ahab, the same Ahab whose wife is Jezebel, the same crazy guy that brought idol worship into Israel, the same crazy guy that's been killing the prophets, that guy, the guy who hates Elijah. This is God's extreme mercy and generosity, because he judged the cancer, he cut it out. But then what he does is he... Brings, he's trying to bring Ahab back in his great kindness and his goodness. Be careful. Be careful that you don't have your own emotions about people. You need to have God's emotions about people. Because sometimes God is angry and wants to and needs to bring judgment to it. Because he wouldn't be loved if he wouldn't be just. But other times he's like, okay, we had a discipline moment. Now come back. Yeah. Now come on back. And Elijah, he just picks up the spirit. And he's like, oh, you're not mad right now? Hey, Ahab, it's been a long day and kind of disappointing for you. Go get some food. And then watch what Elijah does. He does what you do with your teenager. Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. Bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. He went up because the problem remained that they didn't have rain. 
The cancer has been cut out, but that's not the same thing as living in health. They're still in drought. They still don't, they're still not where they need to be yet. They still know the people are still starving. Ahab is still starving. And God's like, you go and climb that mountain. Tell him to go eat and drink, but you climb the mountain and you pray for rain, not for yourself. Don't, do you remember that God fed Elijah with the ravens? Elijah doesn't need rain, but Ahab does. Your teenager does. Somebody you know does. Then he said to his servant, go and look towards the sea. The servant went and looked. This is funny to me. Then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. You ever send your kids to your room, to their room and be like, hey, is your room clean? And they come back and they're like, yeah, it's clean. And then you walk in. You raise liars. That's the problem. I walk in sometimes. I'm like, I can't see the floor. I can't see the, the floor because I can't see the floor. Like it's just covered in everything else. This is the opposite of that. Now, Elijah sent his servant to go. And he said seven times, Elijah told him to keep going back there. Now, Elijah is on Mount, the top of Mount Carmel. He sends his servant and says, look towards the sea. If you're on a mountain and you're looking towards the sea and you keep coming back and saying like, I didn't find anything. I can't see anything. How clear was the horizon? Or how dumb was the servant? No, I think honestly, there was nothing to see out there. Has God finally cleared the horizon? In, in our society, have he, the 17 things that were more important to you than the house of God maybe aren't on the horizon right now. And he looks out and he says, I don't see anything right now. And Elijah keeps sending him back. He said, go back, go back, go back. He's like, I'm not going to stop praying until we see something. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, the seventh time, I'm telling you, if it's me, I'm coming back with something. I'll make it up if I have to. I'm not, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm going to see something. We don't like desperation of failure sometimes, but desperation is a great thing. Desperation helps you see the, ready? The seventh time, his servant said, I saw a little cloud. He said, the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. When the horizon is choked with distraction, you don't see the little cloud. The devil distracts you with shiny things and with big, horrible things. But you got to look for that little cloud because there's more power in the little cloud than there is in the rest of anything that is happening around you. There's more rain in that little cloud than in anything else. There's more food in that little cloud. There's more supply. There's more love. There's more forgiveness. There's more peace in the little cloud than there is in anything else that the devil can do. Anything else you can find in the world. You got to seek until you find the little cloud. And, and Elijah's like shouts to the servant like, hey, hurry to Ahab. Tell him, climb in your chariot. Go back home. If you don't hurry, that rain will stop you. Now, this is our part. This is what you and I got to do. When we see the little cloud, run for it. Run. Some of us, we sit there, we see the little cloud, and we just sit there and hope it gets bigger. We hope it gets bigger. But Elijah's like, run for it. It's coming. When God speaks a word, it always comes true. Start running. Start running or it's going to overtake you and it's going to pass you by. Start running or you're not going to get to where you're going. Start running. Stop thinking and start running. Stop thinking and start giving. Stop thinking and start loving. Stop thinking and start forgiving.
you don't hurry, the rain's going to stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. We need a rainstorm right now to clear the smoke out of the air. God, send us a terrific rainstorm. And it says, and Ahab, Ahab rather left uh, quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. Now, this is what you and I need. You need special strength. Come on, anybody? I need some special strength, God, right now. He gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his leather underpants. You got to listen to the rest of the sermon. He tucked his cloak up so he could run free and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, listen, listen. When, God, when you see the little cloud, run for it. But you got to quit looking around at what you think is success in the eyes of the world because it's not really. It's not really. And the people that you see succeeding, but doing it without the hand of the Lord their God, you can succeed in the natural a little bit, but if you want supernatural, then the resurrection's got to belong to Christ. And I'm telling you right now, this is what the Spirit of God is telling you. This is what I heard. saying, you see people that you think are more successful than you, but you're going to outrun them. Don't you worry. You think that... The, you think that those ungodly people in business are, are doing well? You're going to outrun them. Just look for the little cloud. You're going to outrun that chariot all the way to... You're going to outrun it. You're going to outrun it. Why? Because a supernatural power came upon Elijah to run. <laughs> Ahab needed a little momentum too. He should have walked into that... He should have rode that chariot into the palace and fired Jezebel. That momentum was God's grace for him to get his house in order. What are you going to do with God's grace when he gives you a little bit of momentum? Are you going to ride that thing in and go all the way? Are you going to outrun the chariot? Are you going to sit there and keep looking for the other cloud? Don't worry about the cloud. If God said it, it'll happen. Don't worry about the cloud. Start running. Spurgeon says this. Although you may have pleaded month after month, come on, Vinny, this is going to bring you hope. Without evidence of answer, it is not possible that the Lord should be deaf when his people are earnest in a matter which concerns his glory. Or are you just earnest in matters that concern your glory? Six times, why do you pray for your teenage daughter? So that she can treat you right or so that she can treat Jesus right? For his glory, six times the... Why do you pray for finances? So that you can get more stuff? Or so that you can have more to help? Six times the servant returned, but on each occasion no word was spoken, but go again. Faith sends expectant hope, Spurgeon says, to look from Carmel's brow. And if nothing is beheld, she sends again and again. It would be more agreeable, he says, to flesh and blood to have a speedy answer. Come on, any impatient people in the house... I want it now. But believing souls, he says, have learned to be submissive and to find it good to wait for and upon the Lord. You ready? Delayed answers. Anybody waiting for something? Delayed answers often set the heart searching itself and so lead to contrition and spiritual reformation. Deadly blows are thus struck at our corruption. And the chambers of imagery are cleansed. 
When God brings a single-mindedness to your life that's not double-minded, where you don't care what people think, you care what one thinks, and that is God. The great danger, he says, is lest men should faint and miss the blessing. Father in heaven, right now today, let us be consecrated like Israel was consecrated. Let us not fall short of the rain from heaven. And I pray, Father, right now that we would have the humility in our hearts to ask somebody to pray for rain for us. If Elijah does not pray for rain, Ahab gets no rain and the people of Israel get no rain. Lord, send us that message. Send us, but you have sent us. We need to go and ask, could you pray for rain for me today? And out of your, the windows of heaven, you would pour out a blessing. We could not contain it, but Father, we ask the mess. Pray for me today, Lord. We're going to go get prayed for today. Father, we're going to ask somebody to, for, we're going to ask for rain today. We're going to ask somebody. Father, we're not asking you to supplement our lives anymore. We're asking you to be our life. The way, the truth, the life, one life, one focus. No more of this trying to please everybody or trying to reach all these goals. One goal, and that is to know you in the power of your resurrection, oh Lord. And I pray, Father, that when we have, when you have become all, Father, we know that you will be enough. You will be Jehovah Jireh, who is more than enough for us.